Do you ever wonder what happened to your friends from high school? I mean, you were so close. You laughed together, you cried together, you shared some of the best years of your lives together, and yet, somehow through life, you just lost touch. Now it's time to relive those moments once again. Introducing the podcast that takes you back in time to the place where it all began. This is Class Reunion. We're bringing you all the gossip, secrets, and scandals from your high school days that you won't want to miss. Join us as we catch up with old classmates and dive into the wildest stories from our high school days. From those legendary parties to the infamous cliques, we're spilling all the tea on who's who and what really went down. So grab a seat, turn your volume up, and get ready for a trip down memory lane. Class Reunion, the podcast that reunites us all. Welcome back to another episode of Class Reunion. As promised, this is part two of my interview with Eric Daniel. In this episode, we're going to dive deeper into the writer's strike and the release of his first feature film, Back on the Strip, opening August 18th, starring Tiffany Haddish, Gary Owen, Wesley Snipes, J.B. Smoove, a whole cast and crew of talented actors and actresses. So let's listen in and continue as I talk to my guest, Eric Daniel. Okay, we are back. So Eric, what I wanted to do, I was talking about Kevin's heart to heart and how he always gives out roses to people in the in the beginning to give some accolades. But I'm switching gears for one second because I am a huge fan of Tracy, your your wife. Mm-hmm. She was in like 18 films and 36 plus TV episodes. And so I just think she's fantastic. But one of the things that I really found spectacular was she was still cooking it all the way up until Mateo was born. She was, I think it was Grey's Anatomy or something where she was in an episode as a nurse and mm-hmm. she was pregnant. And I was like, she's crushing Hollywood. They don't care. They want her on yeah. this. It doesn't matter that she's pregnant. They still want her to be in this episode. And I have just always been like, that's a cool check. That's just amazing. She was she was doing that right before Mateo was born. It's really funny that you said that because for her as an actress, like, you know, obviously for us, that's something we had to think through a little bit about, you know, when you get pregnant and, and have a baby, it's going to affect you working, obviously. So but also on camera. But it's funny because she, I, I know the episode you're talking about, I think it was actually House, even though she was on Grey's Anatomy, but she was very pregnant on House. Yes. And so even when we had Lucy, each time she's gotten pregnant, you know, eight years apart, like we took a break because she was working, but we were like, with another child, it's kind of now or never. So uh, we had, you know, Mateo came around, but you know, you think you're not going to work, but she booked enough like shows constantly when she was pregnant. And from that show, Two Broke Girls, she ended up getting series by the guys who made Will and Grace, uh, which was called Partners. And uh, yeah, so it's funny. You just never know, you know, um, how things are going to affect you. And, and you know, it, you think you plan something out and then she's working while she's pregnant. And that that was one of those shows she booked that we thought might be around for a long time because of the people that were involved and it lasted for a season. And then, you know, it's... Uh, you're back online. Both, I mean, both of us are kind of used to that aspect of entertainment where, you know, you're fortunate to get some things going and, and have some big successes, but you always know that it's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of, okay, what's next? If this, will this one be the one that lasts for a long time or is this going to be something that kind of is another stepping stone to something else? So, yeah. Right. But yeah, my wife is super talented and I'm, I, I've really had a lot of fun watching her kind of do her thing. And, you know, we, we always have this kind of weird thing where in the middle of strange things happening, something good kind of comes out of it. And um, when in the middle of COVID, she booked a Netflix show called Made. And uh, it was like out of the blue. And that's, I mean, that's right when people started 
self-taping. So all her auditions now, I mean, even since the pandemic, she hasn't had an in-person audition still. So I'm like her cameraman, her line partner in the, in the scene. And uh, every audition is, is kind of done that way. So, you know, we've had to become skilled at that. And um, it's good and bad because you don't get the interaction as an actor in the room with the, the producers and director. But you do get to use your best take that you record and submit that. So we, I helped her with Made and, and, and in the middle of the pandemic, she booked this show that not only was a big, you know, limited series, but she had to go to Vancouver to Victoria, British Columbia for six months, which was great for her. And a little bit of a challenge here because our kids were, my daughter was still in her senior year. Our kids were at home remotely learning. And I, you know, my son was in a Spanish immersion class and I was speaking Spanish. So it was a challenge. But then um, the good part that came out of all that was we were able to get a few months in, we were able to get a waiver it was very hard to get into Canada at that point where we could oh, like have a family reunification. And I, yeah. We, yeah. So we, I, for the last two and a half months, we joined her while she was shooting made in Vancouver, British Columbia. And it was great because the kids were already bouncing off the walls here. So it became like this Canadian adventure in the middle of the pandemic. So, so yeah, it was great. And then of course the show ended up being a big success for her. So, uh, Oh, yeah. I loved um, it. And I even absolutely now, yeah. binge watched yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I'll tell her that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and you know, even now like segueing into other stuff, you know, I've got this movie coming out, but like we're in the middle of a strike for writers and actors. So both of us are currently, you know, yeah. not working and, and, and also picketing against the studio system. So it's weird for me to have a movie that's about to come out, but at the same time, we're still engaged in this labor dispute. So let's let's talk about that. It's a great segue because I wanted to know how that movie, you know, kind of segued and came about. You know, it's an it's an amazing film that's coming out August 18th in the movie theaters, which has got to be a thrill to see your, you know, billboard in the movie theater itself called Back on the Strip. It's starring Wesley Snipes, Tiffany Haddish. I mean, a great cast of J.B. Smoove, who I love, Gary Owen. I mean, the the trailer itself is hysterical. It's it's like a, yeah. a, a chocolate magic mic gone awry or something. I don't know how to explain it, but it's hilarious. It is so funny. Yeah. Uh, so how did that project start? And and so was it during COVID that this all came about? And congratulations. It's going to be fantastic, well, Eric. I just already thanks. know. The amazing people that you were able to get in this film is such a testament to you. I'm proud of you. I just, I, I would watch it anyway, but to know that you're instrumental in creating this film is just very, very cool. Yeah. And, you know, it, and on top of that, we also have, a, I don't know, it's a secret, but we have a little appearance by Kevin Hart as well. So that that oh, funny here I'm talking about him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, he did us a favor. So yeah, back on the strip came about because a friend of mine out here, Chris Spencer, is a really super talented comedian. He's been out here yes. doing his thing for years. I mean, he's he's a writer, he's a director, he's a producer, but he's known mostly as a comedian and host and comedy shows. And he used to host a show called Vibe years ago on TV. Uh, but he came up with all these guys. He came up with Kevin. He came up with Jamie Foxx and mm. the Wayne's brothers and all these guys. So he knows them, you know, yeah. I mean, like they're like family. So Chris and I had, he's known me since I wrote Brushback and, and we know the same people. And, you know, he's like my work. I like his work. And I think he initially had a meeting or something where he was taking, he's like, Hey, you want to come with me to this meeting? And we went in we pitched something and that didn't go. But on the way out of that meeting, he had another meeting the next day. And 
we talked about it was it was for a, a teen party movie and we on the way home we were talking on the phone we kicked around this pitch and we went to that meeting and that one clicked and we ended up eventually selling that script that pitch and got paid to write that script together so we wrote like a teen party kind of movie that um you know did well and for the studio i mean they liked it the script but they didn't make it so and we ended up selling it to another studio but in the course of doing that chris and i met when he was on the paramount lot doing a show with kevin hart oh, uh, yeah. called real husbands of hollywood chris chris did that show and then he as we were reading he pulled out a one sheet with all these comedians on it a little poster that had them as male strippers and it just right away i was like this is hilarious this like could be you know they're now they were back in the day they were the original black chip and yes, dancers, yes, chocolate yes. chips. And now, you know, they're in their 50s, but they're coming back together to kind of help save the hotel that they started in. But also there's a new young front guy who is a failed Vegas magician who comes. He's got his own special skills and he comes and leads the group. So we just kicked it around and, um, you know, it just clicked. The thing that it just it just resonated. And I just we, well, the thing we always wanted it to be was like the way Judd Apatow, the filmmaker, makes movies and just calls Adam Sandler and Seth Rogen and all these guys, right? Like literally this movie could be that with a bunch of, you know, white comedians, but we are doing it with a bunch of guys who have known each other for years and wanted to work together. So Chris, and once we got, got it moved. So what happened was uh, Chris was doing comedy shows in Hollywood. A producer of the show introduced us to the guy who uh, owns the man Chinese theaters and, you know, was helping put the show together. And he's, was, he's also an uh, established film producer. And Chris pitched him the idea, showed him the one sheet, and the guy was in. So he basically hired us. He paid us to write the script, um, which we did. This is 2015. So we wrote the script. We had a table read with a bunch of other actors, and it went really well, and everybody was excited. And then he hit a speed bump for whatever reason. It just didn't move forward right away. So we went on to work on other projects separately, together, whatever. But then during COVID, he got a call that the people that had paid us originally to write the script had partnered up with someone else. And he read their scripts and, and back on the strip was the one that he wanted to make. So, yeah, I, was saying, I knew that if we could get this movie, we would get Chris. Chris has those relationships. I knew some people a little bit, but it was like and the other thing was when we met with him. So we met with them during COVID. And we met with the two producers who wanted to make it. And they said, who's going to direct it? And I had told Chris before, like, you should direct it. Like, this is your thing. Like, he's got all the skills where he could kind of bring them all together. And also I knew with that, all his people would come out for him. So Chris just, I nudged him and he spoke up. And all of a sudden from that day, they're like, yeah, you should direct it. So it just moved forward from there and became real. And, you know, that's how it kind of came back to us. Yeah. So with those relationships, and, and we don't have to divulge necessarily money, but there's such big names. How does an independent film fund something like that? Is it like a favor? Is it half and half? Is it a uh, percentage of the, the film's success? Like, how do you get all those people in an independent film to show up who ordinarily would have, I would think, cost prohibitive salaries to be in the film right yeah i mean look it's not easy and um i mean we are an independent film and you know the budget is not high i mean our, our budget was around five million dollars or so for, look everybody like i said everybody loves chris yeah. uh so they're going to come and support but you still got to pay them what you know what what is respectable and in, in accordance with stag and all that so they had to work those deals out you know and 
we had a certain amount of days that we had Wesley Snipes. We had a certain amount of days that we had Tiffany Haddish. And, you know, we had to kind of make that work schedule-wise. Tiffany was great and gave us about a week or so. Uh, she's also a producer on the film. Oh, nice. And so is Wesley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's one of those things where we, we kind of all know how hard it is. It's hard for anyone to make a movie. Like, to me, getting a movie made is like it's a little miracle every time I see it. Like, I don't know how it happens sometimes because you really do need all that stuff to get, come together. And, you know, I was fortunate to have that happen with Let It Shine, with Disney Channel. Um, and they're more of a machine and obviously they're a bigger system. But indie film world is a whole nother story. So to our credit of our producers, they were able to, you know, use the money that we had wisely to get the names that we knew would help us. And what, you know, Chris and I try to do is shape a script that would not only make uh, everybody want to come see it, but also give these actors something fun to do. So we're not just using these guys. You know, if you got JB Smooth and you got Faze on Love, who've been in some classic comedies and stuff like that, you really want to use yeah. them. And even though they're not like the A story, they have their story. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, when you bring these guys back together in the story, they're going to have conflicts that they have to resolve and all that. So we just tried to make it worthwhile for everybody to be a part of. And, you know, this, like I said, it, it could easily have been, you know, a, a bunch of name, big name white guys, and you would still have the same story. So I feel like we've done that. We've told a really universal comedy story. There's a lot of heart to it. And we've got a little romance that's like kind of our core through line of the young guy who's trying to win the girl back. So it's just got all those elements. But it is, at the same time, got these like raunchy rated R fun comedy bit so we've got a little bit of everything and i think it's one of those movies that's going to kind of it's weird because we're in this time where our actors can't really promote the film right now so we're not getting a lot of heavy promotion but there's a little bit of an undercurrent of buzz and word of mouth that's starting to build and you know hopefully it reflects in the turnout for the film but uh we're super excited about it and it's just been fun and for me the experience has been because we shot this movie in Las Vegas over 20 days. 20 um, days? Was, Holy cow. That's nothing. That is nothing. It was supposed to be like 27. And we you know that's part of indie filmmaking. So you're constantly evolving. And how many days do we have, Wesley? Okay, we can't do this. We can't do that. We can't get you know a helicopter for this scene or we can't get that. So you know we were revising pretty much up until shooting and in, in the middle of it. But uh, yeah, we got it done. I mean, we didn't do any reshoots. And, and you know, it was almost two years ago now, really. It was... 2021 of October that we we finished and been you know post has taken a minute post production but that is part of indie filmmaking as well is you know you got to get your team together again and kind of get all the pieces that you need and make sure all the money is there for post and music and but it's it's really come together well so we're very happy and excited with the results and and uh, the fact that it doesn't look like an indie movie is a testament to all the people involved I mean like you said the cast is phenomenal yeah. It's a well-oiled machine. They they're so seasoned that you know they probably come yeah. in and do their thing. And but that's what I thought was so incredible was that you have this first indie film that you're having movie theater and you've got these names and that's got to be heaven because it will you have that experience again? Who knows? Because they they're all so good, you know. Yeah, and for me, yeah, really like uh, it reminded me of why I came out here in the first place mm-hmm. because I did like I said come from a production background working in, in Brooklyn with Spike. Um, and, and, you know, it's great, like we said, to come out to L.A. and sell scripts and get checks and to keep working and, and hired. And even with Disney, uh, Let It Shine, that was a great experience. But I never went to the set um, in Atlanta where they were shooting. It just wasn't, you know, that, that's a little bit of what it, 
that's going on with the strike right now. Writers want a little bit more respect. So sometimes you'll write a movie and create this opportunity and you're fortunate when you sell it and the studios are making it, but they don't necessarily like your job is done. Right. So they don't necessarily include you in the process of the filmmaking. And I was like, well, you know, am I going to be going to set? They're like, well, yeah, you, you're welcome to come. You know, if you fly out and you, you know, on your own time. Put you up. Like, I, and I was like, <laughs> you know, yeah. So it's like, you know what, you write this thing and it, it provides hundreds of, of of jobs and opportunities for people that are working on it, but you're not there. So I was like, you know what, I'll just, I'll be, I'll be, I'll see the rough cuts and I'll be at the premiere. But like that one wasn't really me being involved, but with back on the strip, that was for me, it reminded me of why I came here because mm -hmm. it was literally Chris, the director and me and, you know, maybe a couple other people on the crew every day, just like making choices and decisions that were going to affect how this movie was going to turn out. So it was hands-on filmmaking and it's what I got in the business to do. So August 18th, how are you going to handle that then with the, you know, we're not having a red carpet, right? Because we can't do that or right. were you, okay. So is it social media or how, because. Well, there'll be, there'll be a carpet. There may be an orange carpet or something <laughs> else, but they'll be, they're not calling it a premiere. They're calling it a filmmakers uh, screening, but there's a lot of invites and a lot of people want to come. Obviously, with the actors on strike, I don't know unless it's a waiver if they're going to be the cast is going to be there or not. I know they'd love to be there and they want to be there, especially to support not just the movie, but Chris as well and, and myself. But uh, we'll be there and it's going to be a big turnout. But it's just it's just a little different. You know, I've, I've, I've told some friends and family like, you know what, it's not worth coming out for this right now because it's not going to be the big Hollywood experience, you know, that we thought it would. It's going to be a man Chinese theater, which is going to be fun and but it's That's not going to be the glitz and all that kind of stuff. So let's talk about the strike then, because that that is such a snag that if you were still in production, would you have had to stop? Or because it's an indie film, you would have still been able to complete it. This is where I, I want to dive deep in it because we're listening and reading outsiders of the industry and it that's a that's a fine line of independent film that seems to be unique and, and gray area. And can you walk me through that? Like I'm dummies for SAG and yeah. AFTRA, AFTRA. But you're not though, because you hit the point. I mean, the funny thing is they don't know quite yet. They're still figuring all that out, right? Like not just our movie, but there's a lot of yeah. about, you know, what actors and writers are allowed mm -hmm. to do to promote their own work that's out there. And some movies right now are getting waivers to stay in production because they're technically an indie film but they're big name actors that are involved but it's weird because those films most likely will want to at some point go to streaming or something because that's the current way that we usually people are watching stuff now right so they may be indie but they may get a streaming deal down the line so these new projects are going to have to get approval from the wga the writers guild my union or screen actors guild in order for them to move forward and that's where it's just getting a look. No one really knows. It's a gray area right now in terms of how that's working. With our film, it was an independent film, but we have Screen Actors Guild actors. Obviously, we've got, you know, so they have to abide by the rules of the of SAG. But, you know, it's they do want to promote, but they're kind of told you have to get a waiver to do that. So hopefully we'll get a little bit of that going. But it's just it's. It's it's a gray area. It's a gray area and it's causing like weird divide. I mean, you know, it's it's Yeah. You know, there's a lot of issues and you know, both for writers and actors. And you know, just to use an example, like you mentioned my wife, you know, she worked on a bunch of stuff that she's worked on for networks and she's worked for streaming. 
And the thing is, it's like, well, you mentioned Maid. Like, Maid was a great success. She got paid well for her, her first work on it. But the thing with streaming is it continues, and you never know how many people are watching it on Netflix. It could be 100 people. It could be 100 million people, right? So you don't get the benefit of continuing residual income from a show being really successful. So you talk about a show like Friends, right, where everybody knows that cast has been in syndication for years, and they could live off their residuals for the rest of their lives. If they're making so much money. So that has stopped with streaming for not just the actors, but also the writers and directors who created those shows. So so, so hold on to that thought, Eric. Hang on, because I want to I want to yeah. something just came to me when you were saying this. So let's talk about made successful. We really don't know. And let's say Netflix goes out of business and then Peacock picks it up. And we've already had shows start on Hulu and then go to other streaming platforms. What happens that that's like a really also unique situation where now it's going somewhere else. It is living on, but you're still you're completely out of it. Yeah. And it's there's just like you said, there's no gatekeepers on because you can watch so many different shows and so many different platforms. And I mean, just to break it down, basically, it's like, you know, if you're selling, you know, Luann's candies, right? Um, and you've always sold them to, you know, Grove's Market. Yeah. And Grove's Market said, whenever you bring your candies, well, I'm going to give you a piece of this when we sell it. Yeah. And you'll get some money back and we'll make money, you'll make money. Whoever helps you make it, they'll make money too. Right. So then now they're saying, hey, guess what? We have a way of getting your candies out a different way through Grove's Market Plus. And now we're going to sell your candy. But instead of you getting a piece, we're going to write you a check. It's going to be a little bit of a bigger check, but we're going to buy you out. So you're like, okay, I guess we'll do that then if that's how everybody's doing it. So you you take the check and they take your candies. And all of a sudden you look up and it's at Grove's Market. It's at Seahole Market. It's at, you know, it's all these different places and it's being, you know, bought. And, and the people that, you know, run the plus stores are making a ton of money on the they're subscribing to buy your candies. They're probably, you know, doing all this, but you're not getting any more. You know, you came up with the candy and the people that helped you make it are not getting more. And that never used to be the case. So to me, that's one of the big prime issues is residuals because these streamers have effectively ended that revenue stream for talent. Very and, well and, said. And creatives, yes. right? So, yeah, that's, that's what it is. And, you know, this is a business where you're working, you're working, you're working, then you're not working. So, a lot of people rely on that stuff for, you know, income for in your unions for health insurance and pension and all that kind of. So these these are they've turned the model upside down. So um, and not to mention these shows now are like 10, eight, eight to 10 episodes as opposed to like a full season on network used to be like 20 something episodes. So if you're a writer on it, you may be working three or four months, but then you got to get another gig when that one's over. So it's a it's a whole new ball game. So it just needs to be the model needs to adapt with it and so saying that comment about the writers you know who who get such accolades for made for example or or another show but it's short term i think people need to recognize that i'm still like talking to the people like myself who who aren't in hollywood that's so important because it's it's different you're not you're not doing a gray's anatomy forever you're not doing a shonda rhymes you know writing for her so it is important, and I think that's where it started because the directors and the writers started the strike for that reason, I think, in the very beginning, correct? To say, hey, we're now in profitable gains of our show, our, our, of what we've written, but it's short term, and we need better protection. 
And then the actors came back in and said, yes, we agree with you. And and Fran Drescher, holy cow. <laughs> I sat and listened to yeah. her. What a passionate, well-spoken advocate for everyone from, yeah. from the, I don't know if you call them grips anymore, but like from the people in the production to the writers and directors to the actors, she was like mama bear coming in explaining why it was yeah. so important and it shed such a different light to me because Hollywood gets a bad rap. You're all, you know, wealthy and all that kind of stuff. It's a, that's a small group. That's the, always the tricky part of explaining is, you know, it's like, you know, you have big splashes where you're doing really well. And then, you know, hopefully you're lucky enough to land on a show as a regular or a writer like a Grey's Anatomy that's on for a long time. And you can kind of, just, you know, keep kick back and keep working like that. But I think for most people in the industry, it's, it's, you know, you try to build off of your successes and continue that, that going. And, you know, uh, fortunately, both my wife and I have been able to do that for two and a half decades or so that we've been here. But, you know, we are in a point now where things are changing. So, you know, uh, like she'll never make another dime from made on Netflix, but unless something changes, but Bill collects checks from those she did 20 years ago. That's, that's what I don't think people get. Right? That's exactly why this is happening. Yeah. And, and now that so many of us, myself included, are, you know, off cable and using streaming services, it does have to be reevaluated. Any type of shift in a new technology yeah. or new, new medium, you know, new rules need to apply. And I support that wholeheartedly now that I'm looking at it from a business and livelihood perspective, but where I also want to take yeah. a pause and a beat is I think the message gets lost in social media for some of the smaller actors who are on, you know, kind of complaining on social media that they're going to lose their house and this and that. And, and, and my level of compassion is, is there. It's hard though, because the reality is it's long-term good. Like this has to happen for long term. It's just soul crushing for people that yeah. didn't make money off of maids, you know, that are smaller salaries. So how 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 do you address that where there's dissension amongst people in, in the union itself? I think that's less of a within the union problem because I think everyone understands that this is something that's going to benefit all the actors or all the writers who are coming up behind. I mean, I was here during the first uh, the strike in uh, 2007. Um, where we did make some significant changes that addressed well, some of these issues early on with digital media, but uh, no one knew that every single studio basically was going to have their own platform, and that's what's changed. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it, I, th yeah, I think the hardest part is people in the technical unions, or you know, if you're a caterer, or if you're a, ma a makeup artist, a hairstylist, whatever it is, and you, your work right. comes from the industry, it's, it's unfair because they're not working either. But they have unions as well, and they know that these unions have to stick together uh, and hopefully you know, make improvements for everybody. So it's it's tough. I mean, it's and the problem is you've got multi-billionaire corporations, right? I mean, the, the it's Apple, it's Amazon. These, these are places that own these entertainment outlets now. So they're not getting most of their revenue from entertainment. So they can kind of kick back and, and lay this out. What what the WGA the writers are asking for is literally like a two percent upgrade of of what has been made in the past, and also things like that's it. You know, they talk about AI and how they're trying to yeah yeah yeah. Overall, it's like it's not much. I mean, it's you know it's a, a few million dollars in terms of overall what they would give away more 
in the residual income and, 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 you know, changing writers rooms and that, but it's, it, it amounts to about 2% of a change. So it's nothing, no one looks at, at what the, the parameters of what the, the unions are asking for and saying they're outrageous. It's just looking for fairness, you know, and like you said, people want to keep their homes and, Keep, you know, uh, doing what they like to do. Yeah. And I think the residuals is completely fair. I mean, how many times have people watched? Forget that. Let's let's act like The Office was a Netflix show, never on TV. How many times I myself have watched it way too many times over and over. Like that's what this is about. So if I want to watch Maids over and over, my gosh, that whole crew should be compensated for that. Well, it's funny you said that because I saw a video where one of the actors from The Office uh, the guy who played Pam's uh, fiance in shipping or whatever, right? Oh, yeah. He was talking about this, and he was on strike. He was striking, and he said, "Look, you know, of course, our show did well in syndication, but it did go to Netflix. It did go. So once it went there, all that stopped, right? And people binge and binge and binge. Like they're not getting the the residuals that they were getting." Oh, I thought there would be a clause because it came from, uh, I thought because maybe their original contract was with a network that it would still carry over. See, and that's one that I was saying, it went to different streaming services. So The Office was on, I forget, let's just say Netflix, then it went to HBO or Hulu, like it's moved around. So when somebody drops it, another streaming service picks it up. That's where I'm saying like, you got to follow the money, (laughs) follow the streaming service and be paid. They get more subscribers based on your work of the actors and the writers and directors, the creative people who made it, but those people are not benefiting from all the money that's subscriptions for, for the platform. So it's, a, you know, it happens a lot where the, the card gets before the horse, right? And that's kind of what's happened with technology and it continues to happen. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's like we have to course correct every years when these new contract negotiations come up because people are being left behind and only one small uh, faction of every of entertainment is benefiting from it. So, you know, and there's other issues like AI where they're talking about hiring, you know, not hiring, but incorporating programs and scripts to write scripts to, you know, to things that are being done where, you know, they take a format that is an amalgamation of all previous, say, romantic comedies. They'll have a computer program write your romantic comedy. So, you know, if you want to write a movie about, you know, a penguin falling in love with a, you know, dolphin, you can just plug that into this program and AI will write it and it's going to come out like a computer wrote it and then they want to pay like a writer to fix it. And it's like, no, just hire the writer in the first place, right? These are other issues and I don't want to go off in all different tangents, but. I was I was using ChatGPT. I do a lot of uh, 80s trivia questions and stuff like that. And I did something. This is what I wanted to share with you, which is why I, you know. I'm so supportive of the strike. I wanted to do um, black directors, movie directors and awards and, and quiz you on, on certain films. And, and I knew <laughs> I knew we weren't there yet when it said Steven Spielberg was a black director of The Color Purple. I was like, what? This, and so I looked at all of these yeah. films that they were talking about and they were all white directors. And I was like, and I wrote it specific. I, I you know, it was pretty detailed. And I was like, right. this right. is part of the problem. You can't just, you know, yeah. expect this to be factual. Yeah. There's room yeah. for error, you know. Right. Yeah, you're, you're not going to lose. You're going to lose nuance. You're going to lose perspective, culture, just, you know, human-specific interactions. So, and they're creating these programs from reading human previous creations, right, scripts. So they're yes. they're basically downloading all these scripts into 
format that we're so it's basically plagiarizing what's already been done to turn it up to be, have it be done by a computer. So where where does it stand right now, Eric? Like where 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 do you feel it stands? Still stalemate. I got notified for the first time in three months that the uh, the producers, the studios representatives, want to come back to the table. I think tomorrow, actually, the the media, the leaders of the Writers Guild are finally meeting again. Hopefully, begin to get real about negotiations because that door was shut by the studios like three months ago. So that's that. SAG is back out there. And I think hopefully that'll follow suit. The, the DGA, the directors made their deal. They have different issues. So it's really the Writers Guild and, and Screen Actors Guild. And you have a lot of crossover, obviously, with all that. But L.A. is LA is a town where so much is, you know, we have friends who's, whose kids at the school and their parents work in different aspects. And they're just like not working because they, you know, they have a catering company or they have whatever it is. And it's just like... So much is indirectly involved in that, that, you know, I think we all want to see it come to an end, but you want all the work done to kind of bring this to light, to be rewarded and all the, you know, the the marching on the picket lines and every studio. Like, I mean, I live really close to Sony and, and Amazon. I mean, I can go over there right now and they'll see about 40 or 50 friends with the WGA and SAG out there because it's necessary and it wouldn't be happening if it wasn't, you know, and the producers are making all this money, the studios, and they're not sharing the benefits of it, you know, off the backs of the creatives. Is there anything fans can do or is there anything that, you know, is there a .org thing anybody can sign? I know our voice isn't necessarily going to change anything, but any way to support. If you live in New York or LA or maybe Atlanta or some of these other cities, yeah, you can absolutely go out and support the, the people who are out there. You know, a lot of people show up. I mean, we have food trucks show up. We have, you know, people bringing treats and water and all that's just to make sure, you know, and I mean, it's like you're online with guys who created like some of the most iconic TV shows in the world are out there doing this. So, mm-hmm. you know, people respect the, the work and the, of the people doing it. I think there's other ways to do it, but I think, I mean, there's people who have cut their streaming services and say, I'm not going to, join but i think that's kind of unrealistic because everybody is going to want to watch something yeah and the point is to create change for those you know it's it's not about abandoning it it's it's saying it's necessary to pivot you know yeah so it's i think it's just understanding that i mean look it's gonna it's gonna affect things pretty soon in terms of people who watch network tv there's not gonna be a fall schedule of shows that are, are most it's gonna be mostly reality you know there's not gonna be anything written that that's coming on in the fall because everything is shut down and I don't know what the new network TV season is going to be like. And streaming is going to run out of new stuff eventually. So they got to get back to the table. And, you know, I say, you know, just support you. I'm glad to see the movie theaters are, are getting busy again. People are going out yes. to see the movies that are out there right now. And yes. hopefully some will back on the strip as well. So Yes. Yeah. And I think I, I, I would love to see promotion. Um, you know, I know a lot of your classmates have done stuff, but it would be like, What's an incredible way to get attention for August 18th? Because I'm so excited and I'd hate to see it fall at the wayside after such great effort. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I put stuff on Facebook and, and you know, we have we have more trailers that are getting out there. I know that they increased their advertising budget in the past few weeks. So hopefully we'll start to see more and more trailers. There's some billboards and it's opening wide. So it's going to be in, I think, most every city. So as we get closer, I mean, yeah, please, you know, post about it. I'll share stuff and just let people know, like, you know, I'm, you know, a writer from, you know, our area in high school and, and been doing it for a long time. And I just appreciate anybody that I know, like just putting the word out there that 
this is a movie worth seeing and it's going to be fun it's a fun good experience and it, you know i came out here hysterical. just to, to do this to just to tell these kind of stories and just you know you know it's it's always like i said super hard to get movies made for anybody it's even yeah. harder to tell stories with diverse casts and you know this is like the kind of movie that i came here to do and some of them i've been fortunate to sell and some did you know haven't gotten made but hopefully it's going to open the door to keep doing more of that so you know uh please support yeah any way you can and i'll i'll, I'll definitely post more stuff I want to close with this. I always do a play on my name, Dr. Pepper, The Sweeter Life. So how do you and Tracy envision, you know, what your retirement looks like? Or or have you thought that far? Do you have those conversations? I know Mateo's, you know, still young, but like, you know, do you want to just do this forever? And it's a little different, like in corporate world, you have this retirement and this 401k and you're kind of in and out in your 60s. But this is an interesting yeah. career do you uh, just do it for forever or, or do you stay in LA yeah. forever or do you talk about, you know, heading to Hawaii? What's, what's the main goal? Yeah. You know, it's funny. Cause I mean, I, well, I think Norman Lear just made a, a show and he's 101 years old. So <laughs> yeah. uh, there's no necessarily, you know, you know, like all these great, all in the family and all the Jeffersons, but there's no necessarily time frame. but we do, you know, keep that in mind. I mean, look, we've been fortunate to work a lot and, and have two kids that are great kids. And, you know, we have a daughter at Parsons University in college right now. And, you know, we always have our mind on like, you know, what's best for them. And, you know, it's, we know a lot of people in the business who have not had families and children. And in one sense, they're able to focus more on their career. Yeah. But this keeps us sane, you know, just to have that. Because if you're just waiting for the phone to ring for that audition or that, you know, script or whatever, it drives you crazy a little bit. Mm -hmm. We have had talks about like, do we need to still be in LA because everything is now on Zoom and, right. and all that and her auditions are not in person. But when I, I say that, but then, you know, I sold a movie to uh, a company that I came up with a guy who was coaching girl softball with me for my daughter, right? In LA, because he's a producer and we just started kicking around and, you know, that happened. And recently I just started talking to somebody about another project who is in my son's little league with their yeah. kids. So that kind of thing doesn't happen in other places. No. And you do kind of have to be here for that. Sometimes it's just a matter of like, you know, your your proximity to the business and being in it. You know, you feel a lot more of that world is, is like around you. And it's it's kind of, you, you kind of feed off of that a little bit. So I think we'll probably stay here for quite a while. I can't tell you what, what it's going to look like long term, but we feel like we're in the right place. We're just going to keep doing what we're doing right now. Have you ever uh, yeah. wanted to venture on the other side of the camera and, and play a role? No, not really. I mean, that's really not my forte, but I do want to direct. So that's everything everybody does. And I've, I've directed a couple short films, so hopefully that's going to be coming next. And, you know, I've been kind of a writer and now a filmmaker from all different areas, but that's kind of the next step with one of these you know, ventures is to direct as well. So, and it'll happen, Eric. No it, doubt you know? about it. No doubt about it. It'll happen. Yeah. yeah. And we'll have another interview and something special that you're doing then. Well, I uh, can't thank you enough. I really could keep talking because I just find it fascinating oh, because, you know, I'm in corporate America and like this is just such a world I'm unfamiliar with and it's just great yeah. to explore and, and, you know, learn the, learn the tough parts about it. It's not all roses, you know, so I, I love it. So thank you so, yeah. so much. And uh, let's keep in touch, but I, I appreciate so yeah. much of your time, Eric. Yeah. Well, congrats to you on doing this. I think it's really a cool thing and, you know, it's, it's great to reconnect with you as well. And I, I wish you luck with it. I'd love to talk to you. Guys. Thanks, Eric. Thank you so much. All right, friends, that's it for this episode of Class Reunion Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show, write us a review and share this podcast with a friend. Until next time.